Everyone is interested in money, and almost all of us feel a chronic concern or even fear that we will never really have enough or be able to keep enough of it. Many of us pretend that money isn't important to us or think it shouldn't be. Many of us live openly with the accumulation of money as our primary goal. No matter how much money we have or don't have, the worry that we don't or won't have enough quickens our hearts around money issues. The harder we try to get it, or even try to ignore it or rise above it, it seems the tighter money's grip grows on us. Whether we look at money in the context of our personal or family lives, the workplace, or in the health and welfare of nations, the same picture emerges. Money is the most universally motivating, mischievous, miraculous, maligned, and misunderstood part of life. Good evening, friends. That is a quote from a wonderful book that I read for the first time years ago called The Soul of Money by global activist Lynn Twist. And I think that helps us frame this parable about money. I think Jesus would really like Twist's book and her unflinching ability to talk directly and plainly about our complicated and often deeply conflicted relationships with money. She is able to unpack the multiple layers of our culture, which she describes as being defined by money and the multiplicity of reactions and norms and lessons and experiences and biases that end up shaping our perspectives and our attitudes about who we are and how we behave in the world. About a month ago, I gave copies of this book to the three couples that will be helping us with the annual giving campaign in November, so you may hear more about their reflections as they have read this work as well. In the book, Twist shares her own powerful story of transformation, her transformation about her relationship to money in her life, and how she has learned painfully that using money as a direct expression of one's deepest sense of self can be a powerful and miraculous thing, but it did not come easily to her. She has been profoundly changed and challenged, and she offers story after story in hopes of inspiring and awakening a new relationship with others. Her goal in all of this seems to be to point us towards a more liberated and inspired attitude about money that allows us to use money as an instrument to express our deepest dreams and our highest aspirations. She writes, money used this way can connect us to the whole of life rather than money becoming an instrument that separates and fragments us from ourselves and from each other. I think that Jesus is doing the same thing, inviting his followers then and now to reframe the accepted reality and control that money seems to have played in our respective lives, then and now, and instead suggest that maybe we could realign our attitudes about money with who and what we believe we are called to be as disciples. So tonight, Jesus offers a parable about money. Let me just briefly recap. There are two guys, 
one rich and one poor. The rich man, we are told, lives in his own gated community, if you will, and outside that gate is a poor and hungry man that he refuses to notice. Both men die, and they go to different places in the afterlife. The rich man, Hades, and the poor man into the loving arms of Abraham. And then what follows for the rest of the parable is the exchange underscoring the great chasm that divides these two men just as much, if not more, than it was during their time on earth. So how does this move us further along? How does this help us with our faith and relationship to money? Well, I just bet that many a preacher this morning in other churches around the country probably told their faithful membership that in essence, this is a parable that is a warning tale about having and hoarding riches. When we do, like the rich man, we are falling short of the mark of Christian discipleship. And as my friend here says, they would not be wrong. But I am more inclined, I am more inclined to urge us to focus other aspects of the story. I am more drawn to the rich man's relationship to his money and how it isolated him and kept him from seeing, really seeing Lazarus as a child of God. I believe it was his relationship to his money that eroded his faith and his compassion and created a separation between him and all of the rest of creation. I think today's parable hits close to home when we, with whatever resources we have been entrusted with, close our grip and shut our eyes and isolate ourselves. I know firsthand how easy it is to hunker down and tune out the world outside my gates. And sometimes it's even for really good reasons, I tell myself. Who here is working on a plan to fund their child's college education? Who here is moving closer to retirement and pushing back the date every year because there simply isn't enough yet? Who here hasn't sat with a pile of bills on a kitchen table and wondered in what order should I pay these bills? Who here hasn't wondered what will happen if something changes with their employment, with their health, with their pension? For all we know, the rich man may have had his really good reasons for tuning out Lazarus. And the presence of the poor man lying outside of his gate doesn't go away. And yet, aren't we called to move beyond these good reasons to truly see a greater reason and that is where our faith comes bursting in to help us see our lives less as individuals trying to keep all the balls in the air and more as extensions of God's radical love, calling each of us to do one thing, just one thing perhaps every day that keeps us connected to someone outside of our carefully crafted world. You see, the rich man had choices that he made, and we have that same agency. He could have moved mountains. He could have chosen to feed hungry people on Sunday mornings. He could have chosen to support a local street paper. 
He could have chosen to invest in a building nearly 180 years old to better equip it for ministry. He could have chosen to grow a relationship with the Toledo Public Schools, offering high school students a transforming experience, mentoring them. But instead, his wealth blinded him. His wealth kept him from seeing. I think his wealth made him scared of the rest of the world. He stopped noticing. He stopped being moved or concerned or involved with anyone or anything other than himself. Rather than becoming a resource to express and support his deepest dreams and what I have to believe would have been his highest aspiration, money formed a prison around his heart and soul. It was his wealth, I think, and his relationship to it that in the end separated him from humanity and locked him away from connections that could have and no doubt would have not only changed his life but changed the world. It was, I believe, his inability to see who he was in relationship to the need right outside his front door that estranged him both in life and 20th century Trappist monk Thomas Merton summarizes it well when he says, the whole idea of compassion, the whole idea of compassion is based on a keen awareness of the interdependence of all living beings, which are all part one to another and all involved in the other. For reasons we may be too embarrassed to admit, and while we may not wear flowing royal robes, or think of ourselves as living in lavish homes, I suspect we too, at times in our lives, have limited vision. When it comes to our ability to see what is lying right outside our front doors, I believe it's our growing awareness of how we can align our use of financial resources with our deepest convictions, articulate our core values, and then let everything we do flow out of those values. Once we're able to engage the conversation and put aside the myth of scarcity, the unspoken mantra of never enough, never enough time, never enough resources, never enough money, and embrace our baptismal promises, then we'll be able to line up what we have with who we are. And this might be the most liberating dimension of what it means to be a Christian. In the end, I believe it will be our capacity for compassion that will feed and inform who we are as God's beloved community, freeing us into a new and realigned relationship with all the gifts that we receive as children of God. Jesus knew this and urges us to become people of deep connection and awareness of the world's needs calling us to break open the gates of our hearts and develop a capacity to see, to really see, how we can be changed by offering change in the world. May we find more and more ways to notice Lazarus in all his forms in our lives every day. 
in our hearts and at our doors. May we respond with all that we have and all we are as blessed and broken children of God on a journey connecting us to the whole of life, rather than letting it become, as it did for the rich man, an instrument that separates and fragments us one from another. And may we free ourselves from anything that keeps us isolated and unable to speak freely and boldly about money in order to reclaim the power for good that it can do in the world. Once our eyes are opened, it's all of God and with us for only a time. May it be so.